Okay, have we got everyone? Yes, it's looking good, isn't it? You're so welcome here this afternoon at our carol service, and we just want to take a bit of time now to talk to you. We've named our talk, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and it's out of that very famous carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. If you'd have asked me what my favorite carol is, I would have said, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I'm Melanie, I'm married to Stuart, I'm a mummy, I've got two boys, Levi and Asher, they're nine and seven. I, we moved here to start this church um, nine years ago. Um, I spend half of my life looking after small boys and keeping a home and doing all of that, and the other half helping make real life church work and function. I look after kids and young people, and I look after what we do in the community, which is my absolute pleasure. When Levi was little, he would run into a room and just shout, I Levi! And, and we'd all kind of stop and go, wow. Um, he would just announce himself, and he went through a phase of doing that just over and over again. It was so funny. Both our boys announce things all the time. So I need a we, as it's like coming, is um, one of their favorite announcements. We've overheard conversations where they talk about their name changes. So they, at various points, have decided they're changing their names. Their latest ones are, I, am, I do apologize for these names. Um, so Levi is Jeffrey Butthole and Asher is Jeffrey Buff Crack. And so we, we have lots of interaction where we're saying that. We have had the names of their children announced to us. So both my boys are massive Spurs fans. Um, rightly so. Hey, come on, let's get a bit louder than that. Both Spurs fans. Um, and so Levi is going to have two children called Dally and Ali. So Dally Crane and Ali Crane. I, I look forward to meeting their wives. Um, and Asher is going to have one called Harry and one called Kane. So, and I've explained to Asher that her, his second boy will be called Kane Crane, but he seems very um, pleased with that. They've also mentioned that um, as they get older, they're going to be next-door neighbours, so they're, they're poor wives. So they're going to be next-door neighbours, and they're going to have slides that connect their houses together. So this just got announced one day. I'm assuming when they meet their wives, they're going to negotiate a bit better. And then one day they woke up and they said, we've decided that we need to have Children's Day once a year where we celebrate the wonder that is Asher and Levi Crane. And we were like, what? And they said, well, it's only fair because you have Mother's Day and you have Father's Day, so we should have Children's Day. And in my stupidity, I agreed to that. So the 1st of July every year in our house, it is Children's Day. You see, that's what heralds do. They run into rooms and they announce things. They announce things as with certainty. They say, this is coming, this is happening. Both our boys are heralds. So bringing on to our famous carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Uh, the original hymn was written in 1739, and it was actually designated a hymn for Christmas Day. It was written by Charles Wesley, and it was part of a collection of hymns that were published by his brother called John Wesley. Later, the, the, the song was added to by their friend George Whitfield for a collection of hymns that he published, and that pretty much has the form that we sing it now and nowadays. And these three men were used powerfully by God in the 18th century to bring revival to the church and also to this nation. Charles Wesley 
The original writer was a leader of the Methodist movement, and he was famous for writing in his lifetime over six and a half thousand hymns, many of which are still sung today, like Hark the Herald Angels Sing. His brother John was a minister in the Anglican Church, a theologian and evangelist, and he led a revival in the church, which today we call the Methodist Church. The Methodist Society was started by John Wesley, and we still see its um, effect today. Um, their friend, George Whitfield, he was another Anglican minister and evangelist, and he was part of the founder of Methodism, but also part of the evangelical movement. And when he went to the United States, he was part of starting the Great Awakening over there, which saw revival in the churches all over um, the Western United States. So these men were heralds, and they ran into many rooms and many church buildings, and they announced that God is coming. And when the rooms and church buildings filled up, they ran into streets and fields and announced that Jesus was coming. They ushered in a new time in church history. They, they, they ushered in a time where God and man were, were right with one another, where salvation was coming, where new songs were being sung, where, where they, they, they preached a gospel where there was no more sacrifices or hard work. Jesus had done it all. They preached a gospel that said he made the way. He paved the way for men and women to be right with God. They transformed, really, this nation, and they, they did it because they changed church and what it looked like. They, they sang songs that had never been sung before, and they, they preached a gospel of grace where men and women could be made right with God through the sacrifice of Jesus. They, they said that he would be born in Bethlehem. They said that he was Christ, the Messiah. They said that he would be Emmanuel, God with us. That, that carol, Hark the Herald, sums up their message that they were preaching. So this afternoon, we want to act as heralds in this room. We want to tell you things about Jesus. We want to tell you things about life on the earth. We want to tell you things from the carol, but we want to pull in stuff from the Bible as well. And we unashamedly want to prepare the way for Jesus to come into your life. And whether that's for the first time or the millionth time, we want to prepare a way for Jesus to come. Let me just uh, read the carol out to you if you're not familiar with it. I've got a sneaky suspicion we will sing it later, but let me just whet your appetite. It says, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled, joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies, with angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn King. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn King. 
All right, what we're going to have a look at today, we're going to look at some of the things that were announced that were heralded by those angels when they came and spoke. And we're going to look at who he was, who Jesus was, and what he came to do. And I'm going to have a look, little look at who he was to get us going, and then Mel will finish with what he came to do. Well, that, the angels, when they announced, there were three things I just want to focus on. The first thing, when the angels announced about Jesus, the first thing they announced was that he was the king. He was the king. It says that he was born in Bethlehem. We've sung other songs about Bethlehem. Why is that significant? You all probably know where you were born, but it doesn't have a lot of relevance to your life. Kind of, it might be written on your passport, um, and it's in official documents, but actually it doesn't have a lot of relevance. You don't go into a room and announce, I was born so-and-so. I was born actually about 6,500 miles from here in a place called uh, Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. But it doesn't have a lot of relevance to me. So why is the big thing about Bethlehem? It wasn't the capital. It wasn't even a major urban center. What's the significance? Well, it is extremely significant in the plans and purposes of God because Bethlehem was the place where David was born. David was the one who killed Goliath. That is what he's most known for, but he is known for way more. He was the king of Israel. He was not just the king. He was the greatest king of Israel. He was a mighty warrior. He was a poet. He wrote many of the Psalms that you would find in a Bible. You flick through, and it would say a Psalm of David. And even in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, when he's writing about this incident, he says that the angel said that the Savior was born in the town of David doesn't even mention Bethlehem directly. He said it was the town of David because that's what Bethlehem was known. The town was the town of a king. And when um, the angels came, they announced that because in the Old Testament, there was a great promise from God. He said that actually you've had kings like David, but actually a greater king is coming. One better than David, one mightier than David. He's going to sit on David's throne, but he is going to rule and reign forever. And so when the angels announced the birthplace of Jesus as Bethlehem, they were announcing the coming of the king. And not just any earthly king, but actually the Bible describes him as the king of kings, pointing to his authority, which is unmatched and unrivaled. So the angels announced that Jesus was a king. The second thing they announced when they came was that he was God's chosen one. It says in the carol, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. It even says Christ was born in Bethlehem. And that word Christ is hugely significant. It is not Jesus' surname, as it can often be misinterpreted. Oh, he was from the Christ family. There was a lot of them around at the time. I, I looked up on the internet, still the most popular um, surname in Britain is... Smith, yes it is, followed by Jones, I checked that out, but it's not his surname. Christ is actually a title, which sometimes you find him referred to as Christ Jesus, which sounds, it would be odd if it was a surname, but actually it's a title he's been given. It literally means anointed one, anointed one. And what happened in the Old Testament when someone was chosen by God and set apart to be um, a prophet, a priest, or a king, they were literally anointed with oil. Oil was poured on the head, but it happened to David when he was proclaimed king. He was, oil was poured on his head. And so Jesus came as the anointed one, as the one chosen by God. Not like men before him, but God's final chosen one, often referred to as the Messiah as well. He was the one who was to come. Jesus is the Christ, the one that was promised throughout the Old Testament. He is the one who's going to come. He is God's chosen. And when he came... At Bethlehem, he came as that chosen one. And when he grew up into a man, 
And he was baptized by John the Baptist. He was anointed in power by the Holy Spirit. And he went around serving God, casting out sin, healing, uh, sorry, casting out demons, healing, sickness, and disease. The third thing that was announced by the angels is that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. It says, Jesus are Emmanuel. And we've sung about that word, Emmanuel. It's a funny word. It's a churchy word. But what it literally means is God with us. God with us. This was no ordinary baby that was born in a manger in Bethlehem. This was God himself come to earth. The wonder of the Christmas story isn't about just any old baby, but the fact that the Lord Lord of heaven and earth had come to join humanity. I don't know if any of you were born on Christmas Day, Christmas Day birthdays, but I'm sure your birthday was exciting for your immediate family, but beyond that, didn't have much significance in the swathe of humanity. Jesus' birth has significance for us all because God came to earth. The one who created the furthest star and the tiniest cell in your body had come to join humanity. God was literally with us, Emmanuel. God was not a distant deity. There's some picture of him on some cloud, transcendent, ethereal, above and beyond us. He had come to join humanity in all the mess, the pain, the hurt, and the suffering. And when Jesus grew up to be a man, when he spoke, he spoke the words of God because he was God, both fully God and fully man. He was more than just some good moral teacher or wise sage that people like to refer to. The God of heaven and earth had come to join humanity in that stable. And then I'm going to look at three lines from the carol. God and sinners reconciled, joyful, all ye nations. I feel like singing them. You know when you're trying to say something that's actually a song, and I feel like I'm just going to, I won't break out into song, but I feel like it. And then Christ by highest, heaven adored. So God and sinners reconciled. To reconcile something means to restore relationship or restore friendship or to make good or make it right again. And the Bible says this about us. It says in Romans 3, 23 to 25, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. You see, on that night, God touched down on earth to do something. And he touched down on earth to make men and women right with God. He came on a rescue mission. He came on a reconciliation mission. He came to put right what had gone wrong. He was coming to be born in a manger, but really he was coming for the cross and the empty tomb. He was coming for a people. He was coming with purpose. He had to be born a man, Because in order to die in our place for all our wrong, he had to be fully man. But he also needed to be fully God in order to be sinless. In order to die in our place for all our wrong and be perfect, he had to be sinless. Um, And he perfectly holds all of that together. He perfectly holds being fully God and fully man. So living 
dying, coming back to life again, perfectly holds that all man and all God in one perfect being. See, on that night, he came for people. He came for people like Mary. So he came for the young. He came for women. came for those who were seen as, as not relevant or not liked very much or sometimes not heard or not seen. He came for people like that. He came for Joseph, who was honourable and wanted to do the right thing, but would have, without God's intervention, quietly divorced Mary or, or uncoupled their engagement. He came for people like that. He came for the shepherds, the outcasts, those who don't quite fit, those who are not quite included in society, those who are maybe working class, those who are up on a hillside somewhere, those who are outside of the popular crowd. He came for them, but he came for the wise men too. He came for those who were earthly rich and, and intelligent and, and were looking to the stars for answers. He came for men and women, rich and poor. He came for those included and those who are excluded. He came for everyone. And on that night when he touched down, he came to make men and women friends with God again. And it's... I've just got one question, really. When I was prepping, I was thinking, okay, if he came for you and I, what would I do about that? So if, if the Christmas story is true, if it's true for me and it's true for you, if he came to earth to reconcile God and man so that we could be friends again, what would I even do with that? And I know when I became a Christian, something in my life altered. So I asked Jesus into my life. I asked him to forgive me for all my wrong. I felt his forgiveness. I don't know if, if you know what it's like to feel forgiven, but I tell you what, it is breathtaking. It feels like you can breathe. It is, it is oh, it's truly lovely to be properly forgiven by your God. And I remember asking God into my life. I remember saying on that night that I would commit my life to following him. And everything about my life altered. And it wasn't that suddenly I started, you know, not doing things and doing as I was told. It was that actually my life had purpose and focus. It's that actually I started to live for a greater cause, a greater relationship, a greater being. I started to feel like I could finally be myself, fully myself. See, if you make a choice to follow Jesus, it, it alters things, it changes things, but all of it for your good and for your benefit. And the, it's an easy question to answer. Are you right with God, yes or no? I think if you hesitate on it, you're probably not. And I think there are times as a Christian where I'm not right with God and I need to sort things out. And I do the same stuff over and over again. I say, I'm sorry. I ask God to forgive me. And then I get back up again and I carry on doing it. And then I might repeat that again many, many times. So he came so that we would be reconciled, we would be right with God. Next, joyful, all ye nations rise. In the Bible, the last book in the Bible is a beautiful picture of what the new heaven and the new earth looks like. And it says this in Revelation 7, 9 and 10. After this, I saw a vast crowd too great for anyone to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So the Lamb in this picture is Jesus. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting in a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. You see, he came on that night for the nations. And although he touched down in one place at one time, he came for the nations of the world. 
He came that one day there would be a new heaven and a new earth. And on that new heaven and new earth, it would be full of people and it would be multicultural, multicolored. It would be a beautiful display of what God is like. And what God is like is he loves variety and he loves language and he loves different foods and different cultures and he he just loves it. There are no two people the same. He, He loves that about us. He's so creative And he came for every tribe and people, language and nation. And they will all one day stand before the throne. And I think sometimes if you watch the news or listen to what is said about the church in this nation, you could believe that church is dying out and is irrelevant. You could drive around and see buildings that are getting emptier and emptier. You could drive around on a Sunday morning and see dying out congregations. There will be certain streams of church life that will die out in the next decade or two if they don't change what they're doing. And you could drive around and or think to yourself, that is what church is like, but that is not what church is like. You see, one day standing in front of the throne of God will be a great multitude that no one can count and no one can number. And they will be from every tribe and people and language group. It will be multicolored and vast. It will be so beautiful therefore the church will not die out therefore she will never be irrelevant and in this nation and in the nations of the world people are becoming Christians so fast people are giving their lives to Jesus churches are being filled up even this church I I looked at Stuart and I said to him do you remember when our church was the size of that choir and we were both having a little giggle to ourselves because we began this church with a handful of people now we get to giggle and look and go my gosh our church used to be smaller than the choir and now I look out and I just think man church in this nation and the nations of the world is not in decline why because God has said there will be a vast number from every people group represented before the throne. The nations will come and are being gathered in. So my question is, will you rise? Will you be part of the nations? Will you represent God's people on the earth? Will you take your place before the Lamb? And then lastly, Christ by highest heaven adored. You see, all heaven loves Jesus. And if you spend any time in this church, that is what you will find out about us. We just love Jesus. And if we wanted to kind of boil it all down, simplify it, we would basically say this is all about Jesus. I would basically say my life is all about Jesus. All of heaven adores him, but so do Christians on the earth. Revelation 7 says this, and then the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings, and they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped God, and they sang, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever. You see, we were made for worship Worship is our way out of stuff, it's our way through stuff, it's our way to discover who we are. And it isn't for those who like singing, or those, because I have to be honest, I love to have a good sing, love to grab a hairbrush and sing, the shower, best place for my voice, love to have a good sing, love to dance, love a good excuse to go out dancing, enjoy those things, that's not what it's about. What it's about is actually giving glory and honor to one who it is due. 
to one who is worthy, to one who is greater, to one. So it doesn't matter whether you've got the best singing voice in the world or the worst, or whether you've got like dad dance moves or you can bust a move. It doesn't really matter. What matters is you're giving glory and honor where it's due in the right place. And because we were made for it, I feel like if we don't worship, we then try and find whatever we can to satisfy that need, be it like entertainment, amassing worth, value, jobs, whatever it is, we will be hungry for something. We'll be hungry for something greater, hungry for something bigger because we were made for it. It's like God has dropped something in us that will not be satisfied until we find him. And the thing about knowing God and worshiping God is actually he satisfies that hunger. I don't hunger in the same way. I hunger for things of his kingdom. I hunger to see his face, but I don't hunger for stuff. And I don't hunger for status because I feel like I've come home. And worship feels like that. When you worship through pain, through disappointment, through good times, through bad times, it is like coming home. It is like being at home. It's like your heart is at home. It's like you're doing what you were made for. So worship is our way out. It's our way through. It's our everything. And I choose it whether I feel good or whether I feel bad. I choose it. Why? Because he's worth it. That's an advert, isn't it? Because I'm worth it. Because he's worth it, I choose worship. Because he's worth it, I choose to sing, I choose to dance, I choose to shout, I choose to cry, I choose to do it all directed at him because I was made by him and for him. And when I worship, I am most myself. You see, God is a clever God. He designed us with worship in mind. So when we worship, we are most at home and most ourselves. So if you sit there thinking, I'm still striving, I'm still trying, I still want to find out what this is all about, you will never feel at home until you worship. You will never feel at home until you raise your eyes and get them on the Christ. You will never have that satisfied feeling until you find it in him. And sometimes even as Christians, we can get our eyes off him, especially at this time of year, and hunger after things which are not what satisfies Okay, what does this mean for us? A little bit of application for you. Out of all that you've heard today, all that you've seen, we'd love you just to do one thing for us. Come to church. Come to church. Come and join us. We're having a two-week break now, but we are back in this room on Sunday, the 5th of January, 2020. New year, new time to start things. If you haven't tried church or you've been thinking about it, maybe for weeks, months, and it's just something that's there, why not make a decision now? Why not come and join us next year? What the angels announced all those years ago is still true for us today. Jesus is here. He's alive. He wants to know you. He wants good for you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He is real. He was born in Bethlehem and is the great king of all the universe. He is God's chosen one, the Christ, the one promised long ago in the Old Testament. He is God himself come to earth. He is our Emmanuel. He is the one who reconciles man to God, who means that we can have right relationship with him through his death and resurrection. He is the one who brings joy, meaning, and purpose to life. And he is the one who's endured in heaven 
and should be adored on earth. It is good and right and fitting that we worship him. So come and join us in the new year. Make us this place your family. Come and get to know God as your Father in heaven. And maybe uh, 2020 will be a time of great joy and purpose for you. And so we've got a gift to give you and a card. And the gift is something you can hang on your tree. We've tried to keep it in keeping with our theme of a Christmas carol, a very Dickensian or Victorian kind of Christmas. So when you hang our gift on your tree, just think about it. Think about this lovely moment where you sung carols. Think about this lovely time where you got to hear readings, where your kids got to make a a shaker and ring some bells. You're welcome for that annoying noise for the next two weeks. There will come a day when you just cut those bells off that tambourine, I promise you, with rage probably. But we try to make it so they're not too noisy, but... We'd like you to remember the lights down low and the pretty twinkly lights and the songs that you've sang. And we'd like you to think, now that was a good time in church. I liked that. But we also have put a card in your bag that invites you to come to church. And we unashamedly want to do that. Whether you normally come here and you've been a bit on the fringe or a bit on the edge and you've been thinking, or you've even been pulling away this year, we want to help you get back in. We feel like church is somewhere where people can belong. It's, it's got real people in it. So people really do life here. You really get hurt. You really get well. You really get, you have loads of fun. You cry together. This is a very real family. It's why we called it Real Life Church. So maybe you've been on the fringe for a bit. Maybe this year has been a hard year for you, a battle for you. We want to say to you, come to church. And we don't just mean come here on a Sunday. We mean come and make yourself a part of this. Maybe this year has been a great year full of highs for you. And coming to church has been a joy and being a part of it has been a joy. Great. Pass it on. Let others know. Let others know by your life, by your witness, by your example. Let others know that this is a great community to be a part of. Tell your stories. Or maybe you don't usually come to church or maybe you stick your head in and out at Christmas or once or twice a year. And maybe what you need to do in January is just start coming doesn't need to be a big announcement. You don't need to run in the room and shout, I leave, I. You could just come. You could just turn up. You would be made to feel so welcome. I cannot promise you snow. And certainly there won't be all these lights up. And I will not be wearing a dress. Because normally these legs don't come out. Only at Christmas. And so I will be in jeans and a t-shirt. And I will have children hanging off me. But what we can promise you is that in this place, you will meet your maker In this place, you will come face to face with your God. In this place, you will be encouraged to worship, to love him, to look at him. We'll encourage you to worship your way out of stuff, to find him in any which way you can. We'll answer questions. We'll preach from the Bible unashamedly. We will do the best kids work we can possibly manage and the best youth work we can possibly manage because we're all age in this family. We will do our utmost to help you find and navigate your way closer to Jesus, to help you answer your questions, to help you go further, to help you go deeper. We have truly loved leading this church this year. It's been an absolute pleasure and we really look forward to next year. And I look forward to a year later when we look up at the stage and go, man, look at what Jesus has done with us. 
So I'd like to invite the host team to just come forward. We've got gifts here. They're going to wander around. We'd like you to take one per family unit. So if you live on your own, take one. If there's six of you all living in one house, just take one for the moment. If we've got loads left over, we'll, we'll give a few more out. I'd like a few left for the kids' workers who are out there as well. So if there are a few left, I would like to give them to the kids' workers who are looking after our children. We would love you to start coming from the 5th of January, 2020. Feels weird to say 2020. We meet at 10.30 in this room. We have kids work and youth work. We always serve good coffee. We always serve yummy things to eat. I feel like you should have something nice to eat in church and something nice to drink. We don't always serve mulled wine at 10.30 in the morning, sorry. We could. <laughs> now that would fill the seats, wouldn't it? Please hang your gift on your tree. There's a variety of gifts. If you don't like your ones, change it with someone else. If you don't have a Christmas tree, hang it in your room. They would make nice earrings. Adorn yourself with them. <laughs> Shall I get him on stand? Oh, I'm going to ask you to stand. Apparently, I have Phil's mic. And I think you'd prefer to hear Phil than me. Please stand. Let's sing and adore Christ the Lord. <laughs> 